What's up, what's up, what's up? The Foul Life Podcast back at you, Chad Belding, bringing you another episode. Thank you all so much again for the support of our partners and sponsors. Please tell somebody about the podcast. Keep subscribing, leaving ratings, reviews, supporting the partners and sponsors that support us. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by our friends again at Yukonuba Premium Sporting Dog Food. High performance, a lot of science behind it. You've heard Russell Kelly here tell you all about the research, the science, everything that has gone into the evolution of the Yukonuba dog food, their performance dog food, the blends, the ingredients, and the just feed cycles, feed schedules, hydration, sleep, vitamins, minerals, nutrients, um, you know, how to take care of the track system and the GI and everything for good stools. You've heard it. Yukonuba studies it. They research it. They are the masters at it. And yes, they're dog food is at a higher quality and that's why we have chosen to partner with them because we have seen results across the country from california to nevada to minnesota to georgia you talk to andrew at wild acre you talk to brad errington at mossy pond you talk to brad Forsythe, the rocky merlot in california they're going to tell you the same thing better teeth better gums better coat better joints better energy it's it's just it's not a coincidence folks it's yukonuba get on it feed your best friend feed your hunting companion feed that conservation tool that labrador retriever that golden retriever i don't care if you got a poodle be feeding that dog or cat yukonuba foods royal canine company foods thank you so much yukonuba for being a partner of ours here Today's episode of The Foul Life, we have a guest that you've heard here several times before. He owns Wild Acre Kennels in Minnesota. I don't dare try to pronounce his last name. Nobody would. I don't believe so once they try to read it. But Andrew, welcome. What is your last name again? Skruzazaki? <laughs> Skruzacek. Skruzacek. And that's Italian? Czechoslovakian. <laughs> <laughs> hey, screw huh? You can put a hunt at the end of it. You can put an A at the end of it. You can put an O at the Skruzacek Czecho. That's Russian now. Uh, what's up? You contacted me. You wanted to talk about something that you're witnessing in the dog world right now, if I remember right. And maybe we'll let you lead this conversation and tell me what's going on in the world of dogs dog owners performance dogs hunting dogs and you know what's what's going on in the quarantine are people wanting more dogs for company companion guard dogs performance dogs um i could see you know that there would be a need there's a need for tons of traegers right now because people want to cook out in their backyard and i would see them wanting their dog close by so is that the case right now or what's up yeah i was trying to think about talking about puppies um, we've been having a lot of people reach out to us. Um, and then I've been talking to other friends that are trainers and um, everybody wants to get a puppy right now because they're all quarantined at home. So it's a good time to get a puppy, get it, you know, potty trained, get it, get it ready to rock before they have to go back to work, kind of get them on a schedule. Um, so I just thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about what to be doing with the puppy when you first get it, um, what steps to be taken and moving forward with that puppy. All right, cool. So, What's the best way to get a puppy? <clears throat> are you going to go our local newspaper? You get a, find kennels. Do you word of mouth? Do you buy them off the front step of the local supermarket? Do you make sure that they have papers and good bloodlines? Give us some hints. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the biggest thing is do your research. You know, word of mouth is kind of what I like because that means that somebody else had a dog that was proven. Um, but, you know, when you're, when you're doing the, when you're buying a puppy, 
you know, don't just buy the first one that you see or the first letter that you see on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Take your time, you know, go through it. And if you don't know how to read a pedigree, call up any training facility. They'll they'll walk you right through that pedigree so you can get yourself into a good one. Everybody goes, you know, I don't want a nuts, crazy, wacko dog. And I kind of look at it as, well, yeah, that's kind of not what you want, but you can always take it out of them, but you can't put it into them. Um, so, you know, when you're going to get that bloodline, you know, you at least want a master hunter on both sides of the male and female um, for buying that that puppy. Um, so do some research, call trainers around, um, you know, call a bunch of people, you know, and be prepared. To, you might have to drive a little ways to go and get a puppy. You know, don't, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, that's that's too far of a drive. Well, you got to look at it as this is a, a 10 year investment, you know, you know, easily nine to 10 year investment. You know, if you have to put on a couple hundred miles, go get yourself a good dog. Well, then it'll probably be a hundred percent worth it. And where, where, um, when you pull up to this place that might have this and you've heard these good bloodlines are there, the, the genetics are there. The mom and dad were both master hunters. Like you say, maybe retriever champions. What do you look for? Do you go in there and pick the one with the cutest toes, the cutest claws, the cutest feet or the eyes or ears flopping? Or how do you do it? Is the trainer mainly going to have them picked out for you? They probably give the pick of the litter to somebody, you know, obviously that's taken care of in certain ways. But what do you look for as a potential puppy owner? Yeah. So like me, um, when, when I'm going to buy a puppy, like when I, when I bought Slash, um, you know, when I, I went up to the breeder and I go, um, you know, which, which one is the most active 24 seven, not the one that's most active right now, because, um, you know, he could have been sleeping all morning long. Um, which ones is the most active out of the litter? And then they'll usually pick out two or three of them. Um, so then I'll take those two, th two or three out and I'll have like a little wing with me or something and then look for, you know, which one is picking up that wing right away. Like without even really sniffing it, just that's natural instinct, you know, picking up that wing right away. Um, and then, um, you know, and then maybe put three of them down and, um, see which one comes to you first. I kind of like to do that, see which one, you know, wants to run right up into your lap. Um, but get the one that's kind of more high octane. Um, and, um, the one that kind of picks up that wing right away, um, are great indications of, you know, picking out a good dog. I kind of dig on that. And then are you going to be able to ask that kennel owner or that breeder like questions? What are some of the questions that you want to ask that breeder when you're face to face with them that you might not have on the phone or the email chain going back and forth, but now you see the puppies are picking up the wing. What do you ask them? Like specific weaning questions or how long you know how have they been getting along with their litter mates have they been separation anxiety can potentially what what are some of the things that you talk to when you get face to face um well a couple of things i like to talk about is can i see the mom you know or can i see the mom in action or do you have video of the mom in action um you know stuff like that to see to see how the mom performs you know if you and when you see that mom you know it's going to be a kind of a good um, observation of what your puppy is going to look like, you know? Um, so like, I like to ask questions about the mom, you know, um, like do you hunt the mom a lot? Is it good in the house? Is it good, uh, good around kids, um, good around other people, or does it not like other people, you know, try to feel around, um, you know, kind of what that dog temperament is just hanging out with you in a non-hunting environment. Um, just yesterday we had, uh, he was actually a vet veteran that came in. His daughter was buying a puppy from us. We just bred Josie. Uh, Josie's going to be due in uh, June and they just wanted to come out and see the mom. Um, well, he did something that was kind of cool. Um, he got out of the, got out of the, 
truck. He's actually in a wheelchair and um, he had Josie kind of jump up on him and he's screwing with her, her feet or her, her ears and kind of pulling on to see what she do. And she just kind of melted in his lap, um, you know, and threw her a bumper, see if she'd go away from everybody, go pick up a bumper and bring it back to, you know, just, just little things like that, just seeing what that mom's temperament is like. Um, Cause that's going to be your off switch when you're in a housing or when you're just in a normal everyday life situation. You know, you want to, you want to ask about, you know, is that mom having on and off switch? Like the, is she mellow in the house? Does she hang out in the house or is she just nuts crazy 24 seven? You know, just kind of ask questions about the mom or even uh, the, the dad ask if the sire has any, um, you know, if they know anything about the sire as well too. So the owner of the puppy has got the puppy now. It's back in the truck. It's headed back 200-mile drive, maybe, potentially. Don't be afraid of the long drive, like Andrew said. Now you get that puppy back. This is before there's even any thought. There might be thought, you know, I'm going to send this dog to a kennel. I'm going to send him to to Andrew or Brad, and I'm going to get this dog trained, obedience-wise, hunting, and all of the stuff that goes into becoming potentially a master hunter, retriever champion, field test, hunt test, all that kind of stuff. But before that, they're going to take this puppy home, and this is where you're going to start to see some acclimation, some socializations, things of this nature. Talk to me like now you have the puppy away from the mom for the first time, away from the breeder from the kennel for the first time. Now he's at your, that he or she, the puppy is in your presence. You are responsible for that dog. Now, what are we looking for as far as feed? What are we looking for as lodging and homes and warmth and blankets and kennels and water bowls, all of it. Talk to me. Yeah. So like when, when I get a, when I get a puppy home for the first time, you know, they're obviously going to whine and cry a lot um, because they're away from the litter, away from their mom. Um, you know, the biggest thing now um, uh, is tr- uh, crate training, you know, get them used to being in a crate. Um, and that's going to help you with your potty training as well, too. Try to get the dog on a schedule. So then that way, um, dogs like to have schedules like eight, noon, five, 10, um, you know, get them on a schedule. So that's going to help you with your potty training. Um, I like to get a, a kennel that has like a, a center divider in it um, because you don't want to give that eight week old puppy a huge kennel. You know, you, you want to break it down to a quarter size of that kennel so that dog doesn't have a bunch of room and activity in there to make uh, to go to the bathroom in that kennel. So I like to shrink up the kennel. So then that way that's, they have less movement in there. Um, and then that way that, cause they don't want to poop or pee and lay in it. You know what I mean? Um, so get the, the treat training going, um, you know, getting the dog to sit, um, you know, make it sit before it eats, um, kind of little tricks like that. Um, and then, um, you know, a couple of things to be doing is when you're, when you're getting that little puppy at home, um, what I like to do is a lot of people want to get it retrieving right away, which is great, which is what you want to do, but don't overdo it. Like a little, like three to four retrieves and that's it. Um, then move on to something different. Puppies have very short, um, mind span. So just, you know, two to three retrieves. Um, and then that's in a hallway I like to do. Um, and then move on to something different. Um, and then the next big thing, huge, 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 huge is uh, socialization. You know, take that dog everywhere with you. I know right now it's kind of tough, but just going to the grocery store, having it in the vehicle, just seeing other people. You know, once we get to the point where people can start come over, have people come over to grill in your backyard or whatever, you want to have that dog as socialized as best as you can. 
Um, so that way that dog doesn't, isn't afraid of other people or isn't scared of other dogs or anything like that. You want to make sure it's very well socialized. So that way when it does go off to the trainer, you know, that dog's just jumping in the trainer's arm, happy to go lucky, ready to rock where, you know, a lot of dogs that come through our facility haven't seen a lot of people. So it takes us a week or so to get that dog warmed up to us. So it feels comfortable with us to, before we can even start the training. Um, and um, biggest thing is like what I like to feed is uh, Yukonuba. Um, they have a puppy food um, and then you, it goes off of the breed of your dog. So there's large breed dog, small breed dog. Um, depending on, on your dog, the large breed has a little bit bigger kibble. Um, so if your dog is having a hard time, you can add water into that kibble and or get the small breed and um, it's smaller chunks and that'll help you out as well too. Very cool. And when you're feeding a puppy, is that part of the kennel training too? Is, are yeah. you, are you getting him used to the kennel through his meals? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And what a lot of people don't know too, is when you're, when you're feeding that dog, you know, you can feed him in the kennel. Um, that's totally fine. Um, but you know, you want to feed that puppy an eight week old puppy at least three times a day. Um, so like I try to do like seven in the morning, noon and five or six o'clock at night. Um, and the reason why I like to say is get them on that schedule is because usually, you know, within the next hour after them eating or drinking, they're going to go to the bathroom. Um, so you want to try to get them on that schedule so you can feed them and then you can get them out in that certain time frame to let them go out to go to the bathroom. And as far as stools at this time in bathroom, um, are you disciplining them or is there a certain way to discipline and train potty breaks, airing the dog out? Do you let them go wherever they want? Are you trying to teach them at the same time of them being out there that this is their spot to go? This spot in the kennel is not. Are you? Is that a constant at this age also? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're constantly going to, you know, every, every dog is different. Like I have four dogs of my own. Um, slash, he was probably, he probably had three or four accidents in his kennel. And then that was it. He hasn't had one since um, where um, our dog, uh, um, Josie, uh, she took a little bit longer. She was probably about um, five, she probably had six or seven accidents in the kennel um, where and then our dog, Kai, she was like literally had one one accident in the kennel. And that was it. Um, and then Gage, I don't that was like seven or eight years ago. I don't hard to remember. Um, but um, the biggest thing is when you get him on that schedule, you know, get them outside and make sure that they're going to the bathroom when they are outside. Sometimes the puppies just want to go outside and play and run around and they forget to go to the bathroom. And as soon as they come back in the house, they go to the bathroom in their crate. Um, so just make sure and don't let them have water 24 seven, you know, because then they're just going to sit there and drink and play in it or whatever. So give water with feed. And um, that's, that's all I do until they're, you know, potty trained, they're not having any accidents on their house. Then you can slowly start to ease them and have water 24-7. How important is the feeding process as far as cleanliness goes? Um, everybody likes a clean kennel. You're not going to have an owner or a potential client come to your kennel at Wild Acre and have, you know, droppings everywhere and and just, you know, it's gonna not going to be a mess. It's going to smell right. It's going to look right. And at, at the stage of a puppy – what are you looking for? Are you looking for clean stools at this time? Are they still go? Is their digestive system still forming to where that's going to be kind of inconsistent, but it'll start to be more consistent as they grow into their, you know, their childhood and their adolescence years. And at the same time, when you're feeding and, and watching the, the, the GI and the, in the track system and everything that's going on with, with their bathroom breaks, is there something that you could be looking for that could, you know, make sure that you're on the right track? 
Yeah. So when, when you get the dog home from the, from the breeder, um, you know, they should have a semi-solid stool. Um, they've kind of, the best way to kind of explain it is kind of mashed potatoey, a little bit like thicker mashed potatoey. Um, you know, don't be too alarmed by that, but you're, you're trying to look for that, that solid, solid stool. Um, you know, and always be investigating. It's kind of bad to say, but, you know, investigate that poop because, you know, they could have worms or they could have something like that where you definitely want to give them the vet and get it checked out. Now, if your dog is constantly having um, runny, runny stools, then I would definitely be calling your vet and just getting it checked out to make sure it doesn't have giardia or, or something like on that sense of things. Um, so you do to keep your dog happy and healthy. And so that time of the year now, you have the dog home. I take that back. Not that time of the year, but you get the dog, the puppy's back now. You got his are you looking with that kennel training? Are you looking at in hunting scenarios at this age of, is this getting him ready for hunting out of a blind? Are you kind of feeding him there? Are you using certain words, um, place, uh, kennel? What are you saying to where, and then are you trying to condition that dog at this age right now that when he's getting this kennel training, his food's in there, he's sleeping in there, he's laying in there, he's placed. What are you, are you conditioning him for that hunt when he's finally out there? And when you're using that same word a year from now, when he's in the hunting situation? Absolutely. So what we do is, um, you know, I use kennel for, that means going into something, so like into a mud hut, the kennel in the back of the truck, kennel, kenneling into the truck, where I use place for going onto something. So like a pet bed, a carpet square, a platform, um, something like that. So you want to use that kennel command to teach them, you know, that'll help you when you go to teach them into the, go in their mud hut. Um, and then also a huge thing to do is making that puppy at a young, at eight weeks of age, sit before it eats, even though it's going to sit for three or four seconds, make it sit and then let it go and eat. And then as it gets older, you know, make that dog stay there even longer and longer and longer before you release it to go and eat. And it's just amazing when you do that. Now when you get into the trainer and you, you get in the training, they know that they have to wait before they get to go do something. So we don't have to fight, you know, steadiness or nothing. The dog just pretty much already steady. Like when my dogs leave to go out of my house, I make them all sit before they get to go outside. Before they come in, they sit before they get to come back inside. Um, you're just teaching that dog that you have to wait before you go get something, just like a hunting scenario. So your dog's out hunting and needs to stay sitting in that spot before it goes and gets the, its retrieve. Um, so you're just teaching them patience right at eight weeks of age, and they won't know how to do anything different. They won't know how to break because they never you never allowed it as they're growing up. Makes total sense. So now you now you bring into the mix the medical part of a puppy. Where are we at on when we get the puppy from the kennel before we got him home, we kind of skipped a part. He's already has a medical record with visits to the, the vet by now, right? Before you get him back to the owner's house. Yeah. So we do, you know, when, like when Josie's letter is born here at day two or three, we'll take them in and they'll get all their dewy dew claws removed. And then at six weeks they go in and they get their first rounds of shots. Um, so then like me, I'll, I'll print off and you'll have all, we'll, we'll give you like a little folder with all the, the AKC papers, the pedigree, and then the vet record stuff. Um, so then when you, when you get that, usually after you leave, when you pick up your puppy from the training facility or the breeder or wherever, it's usually about two to three weeks after that, they need to go back to their vet to get their second round of shots. 
Um, so just make sure to be asking your breeder, hey, when when do I need to get the next volley of shots? And then the shots you're going to get, you know, the biggest one is, um, you know, you want to get that dewormer because this puppies are, you know, highly, highly, highly really carry worms. So you want to make sure you stay on that. Um, and they give them their dewormer in the first, second round of booster shots. And now it comes time to where you walk in and that dog's got your, your favorite pair of workout running jogger shoes on or, you know, in its mouth, chewing it like crazy. <laughs> yep. As I've been conditioned the, to not let them have chew toys, don't teach them to chew. You discipline them not to chew. Um, some trainers, I think you even say it's okay to have a bone or some kind of, some kind of uh, you know, there's different deer horns. There's all kinds of different licks and, and bones and chew toys. Um, ones that squeak, ones that are soft, ones that are fabric, ones that are plastic, ones that are harder materials. Should a puppy be chewing at certain times? Does that help his teeth, his jaw, his grip? Or do you just let him get that through his retrieves and his playing with the wings and stuff like that? But other than that, when it's downtime in the kennel, you're not letting that dog chew on anything, making him feel like even when he's out of the kennel, he's not going to be chewing on anything. What's the right way to go about that? Um, so like what I like to do is um, they make, uh, you know, some people might be against this, but um, they make like a nala bone. Um, if you get the right nala bone, it's like really hard for that. I mean, in a puppy, they'll never chew through it. Um, so just give them like something that, that's hard. So like a, a deer antler, a nala bone, um, something on that scenario. Um, I don't like to go to the meat market and get, um, you know, bones that have like injected meat inside of them or anything like that. Cause then that could give your dog runny stools. Um, and then they make like these like cloth ducks with like a little squeaker toy inside of there. I'm absolutely against those because every time that anything with squeakiness in it, do not have it with your puppies because every time that dog goes to crunch or chew on that cloth or, or that duck, it's going to squeak. But when they pick up a bird for the first time, the birds squeak a little bit when they squeeze them in their mouth. Um, so then that dog is going to go into chew motor, get an aggressiveness. Um, you, you don't want to, you don't want that in your puppy. Um, you don't want to encourage them to, to chomp or chew. So that squeakiness, um, I'm totally against. I don't allow any of my puppies to have any squeaker toys. No squeaker toys. You've heard it here first. No squeaker toys, but they can chew on something that's hard, according to Andrew at Wild Acre Kennels. I, I think that, I don't know, I, I see it both ways. I think there's a couple different schools of thought when it comes to that. Because you definitely don't want them coming out of that kennel and you might not be paying attention. They think they can chew on anything that they want because they've been conditioned to chew. So I guess there's a couple different schools of thought about it. I don't have, really have a stance. I don't let my dogs chew. Um, but I, I, maybe there's nothing wrong. Even like when you, you throw a, a bumper and you're kind of in that fun phase of just getting some, you know, exercise in and, and letting them enjoy it. You're not really having a, a, you know, a, a big time focused training session and you might take your eyes off. You might get an email and then you look over and he's, he or she's laying on the ground with that bumper in their mouth and they're gnawing on the ed, at the edge or the end of it. I don't mm -hmm. think that's right. I don't think that you want them to have that in their mind, yeah. right? Because you're conditioning them to that when they lay down in that blind and, the, and I'm calling ducks. Now they can just grab a duck on the ground or be up on the strap and, and tearing the, the meat out of the breast. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. So like one thing that I must've said it wrong. So when I'm allowing my dogs to chew like on a nala bone or, an ant, or a deer antler, that's, I only allow them to do that in their crate. So you're only associating it with that crate. But when they're out running around the house or anything like that in the backyard, 
Um, I never let them chew on, just like you said, a dummy or nothing. I never let them chew on that. And another thing you don't want to do is, uh, it's bad with kids, um, but you do not want to play tug of war with that dog. Because now when it gets a bird in its mouth, now that it's going to want to play tug of war with that bird, you're going to rip it apart. Exactly. So now at this time, you're, you know, you're, you're throwing a little wing here and there and the puppy's having fun. He's bouncing around, can't really run yet. They got that cute little bounce and waddle to him. When do you introduce a Labrador or Golden Retriever puppy at what age to the water and how, and how do you go about that? Um, yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So obviously it all depends on, you know, the time of year and where you live. So like here in Minnesota, um, we just had our first, uh, we had a, it was 70 degrees yesterday and today's 60 degrees. So for an eight week old puppy or a nine week old or 10 week old, it still might be a little too chilly for it. Um, but the best way to introduce them when you got nice, good, warm temperature, um, water is don't like a lot of people want to go out there and just whip the dummy way out there and see what happens. Um, try to go to a shallow pond if you can, um, or use your kids to advantage. Have your kids just go kneel, go to a beach somewhere. Have your kids go kneel out there and never force the dog into it. Just let them kind of sniff it, play in it, um, do whatever. And then, you know, a lot of dogs will just go out there gracefully by themselves. Um, but never like take your dog to the end of the dock and drop it off and see what happens. Try to encourage them to go in with you guys being out in the water or just standing on shore and just throwing its favorite bumper, you know, literally like two feet in the, into that water. So it's, it's ankle high. Um, just getting them their feet wet. Once their feet's going wet and they're kind of splashing around it, now you can move just a little bit farther out into that water. Um, and then as they're getting to their, you know, chest high in the water, maybe that's it for that day. Then go back again and just slowly start to build your way farther and farther, farther out to the water. Some, do, some labs will just run in there and jump in like slash. It took us about two seconds. I brought him over the pond and um, he went in there, sniffed around, jumped in and swam around and came right back out. We didn't even throw anything. He just automatically started loving it. Um, so it, it all depends on your dog or the next dog might be a little bit scared or nervous of it. And how to try to prevent that is going into a, you know, good, good, warm, warm water. You know, you don't want to go into freezing cold water. Um, cause that's, what's going to start all that puppy. So do you fill up the kiddie pool with lukewarm hose water or do you heat it yeah. up a little bit? Or do you take your dog in your bathtub with you to get him used to that and doggy paddling and staying afloat? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, um, so like a kiddie pool is a good way um, to get them kind of introduced. Um, just never forcefully put them into there. Um, or if you if you do use a kiddie pool, just the first couple of days, just have like barely any water in there. So just the, over the top of their pads are getting wet. Um, and it seems kind of like slow pace, but um, and then slowly just raise that level in that kiddie pool. If that's the only option you got. Um, or go to like a, like I said, a beach or anything like that, get them used to baths. So that way, when they get older, um, you don't have to, you know, go in the bathtub that way they get used to the baths and that way you're not going to be fighting them when it's time to give them a bath in the future as well, too. So at this time as you, you have this puppy, what age range do you think we're, you know, kind of average right now? We, are you taking him from the mom and the kennel and the breeder at eight weeks? Is it six weeks? Is it 12 weeks? What's average for a puppy to come um, to a private home? Be- Usually when you pick up your puppy, um, most breeders are anywhere from seven to eight weeks. Somewhere seven to eight weeks. So 
the reward system of a puppy you you know your son and daughter they do something good sometimes they get a, a popsicle you know are you doing this with a puppy when he is obeying you or are you keeping him energetic and entertained through you know a reward system his enthusiasm his energy leveled if he knows he's going to be rewarded are you giving him snacks are you giving him something to show him, Hey, you're doing a great job. Or is it more of that socializing and patting him on the head, patting her on the head and saying, good puppy, good puppy, stuff like that. Where you talk in that weird voice. Absolutely. So like the, what I love to do is you take your new, you can do dog food and just have a bunch of kibble with you. And, um, just using that. So when you're going, like you say, you're teaching the dog, sit, have the dog sit, give him a piece of kibble. That's its reward. And also that praise on the top of the head. You want to give the praise, the verbal praise in them, petting them, because you got to slowly ease away from treats at some point in their life. I usually like to ease away from tra- treats when they're about four months of old, three to four months old, depending on how they're training. Um, but you don't want to give that treat on that dog treats forever, because now let's say you're out in the duck boat and you just got him trained up. He's ready to rock going on his first hunt and you go, Oh shoot, I forgot the treats at home. That dog might not do nothing for you because it doesn't get its reward. So you want to ease them away from treats, but at eight to, you know, at least eight weeks old to three months old, I like to use that treat training, but also giving them that praise. And that way that'll, that praise will allow you to ease away from those treats in the future. Very good points. And while, while you're doing the reward system, are you, is there a such thing as, being too attached to a puppy. I understand the socializing of it, but are you conditioning a dog the wrong way if he is 100% of the time sleeping in the bed with you at this age because he's so cute and cuddly or she's so perfect and you don't want to you don't want to put her in the kennel? Are you um are you not letting when the when the family's at the dinner table is the dog 100% in his position or her position of place or in the kennel and never allowed to roam around the kitchen table, you know, conditioning that that's a no-no zone? What are you doing as far as on the opposite of the reward system of, of the takeaways and making sure that that dog understands his or her place? Right. Um, so like me, I'm, I am a firm believer at a young puppy stage um, to, to let them be in that kennel. Um, and, and the reason why I say that, and a lot of people are like, oh, that's not fair to the dog. That's, that's not good for the dog. Well, it is because we get a ton of calls like we cannot put my dog in a crate because they have um, anxiety. Anxiety is caused from always being glued to your hip. You want to teach that dog that, hey, when we're gone away at work or we're, we're, we're having people over, whatever the case is, they need to know that going into that crate is a great thing too. Not, it's not a negative thing to go in, into that crate. You want to make it a positive thing, but let that dog be in that crate for you know, good periods throughout the day. Um, because now when you go on a long road trip or, or hey, you got a family emergency and somebody needs to watch your dog and it's going to be in the crate or whatever. Well, you don't want that dog breaking out of the crate or becoming a nuisance when somebody else is watching your dog for you. You want to get them used to that crate and established with that crate. So they feel comfortable in there and they actually learn to love it. Um, so for instance, like at nighttime with slash, um, he'll be laying on the couch and um, he'll get, he'll start puffing and puffing. He gets really hot on the couch. So what he does by himself is he gets up, walks around the corner and we have his crate because he sleeps in his crate at nighttime. And um, he'll walk in and just lay in the crate, the door wide open because he knows that it's time for, he wants to go to bed and that's where he sleeps and he, he loves being in his crate. If the tailgate's open on the back of the truck, you can guarantee 
flashes in the back of the truck because he knows if he goes in his kennel in the back of the truck, we're going to go out and do something because we did that positive training with that crate with him. I love that. So set the record straight, Andrew, the crate. You get, you look at some of these dog training uh, trailers that y'all pull around or you have, you have them connected to the bed of your truck or you're actually pulling an external trailer on a hitch. The dog boxes look really small according to the size of some of the doors. Dogs come in all different sizes, shapes, weights, all of that. What is the ample amount of room in a crate? If you're going to sleep a dog in a crate or or transport a dog long distances during hunting season or training season, whatever, should they be able to stand up and turn around on that thing real easy? Or is it something to where they can lay down and that's it? When they stand up, there's a little bit of room above their head. What's the what's the right size or the ample amount of room inside a crate for a lab or a hunting dog? So like what I like to look for is, um, you know, when the dog's sitting in the crate, you know, you want to make sure that it, it can sit down. Um, you know, you don't want them hunched way over. Um, and then when they lay down, you want to make sure that they don't have to curl up into a seat to lie down. Um, but you want to keep the kennels a little bit on the smaller side. You don't want to give them that extra room um, because now they're going to, that, then they could create going back to having accidents in there or screwing around in there. Um, so like a, like what I look at is if you have a, a 50 to 60 pound lab, an intermediate size dog crate is the best. I, I like using that for that size. Um, our dog trailers have bigger holes because just like you said, we have, you know, coming through our kennel, like right now, we got an 80-pound golden retriever down there, and then I got a 45-pound Vishla. So you just got to have the, you know, we don't want to have 20 different trailers. We just got one trailer that can haul all dogs. A lot of these new new style roto-molded pit kennels that you see that have become kind of popular, the ones that they say are indestructible if you have an accident, I see the, I see the value in them. But yep. they're very heavy. They're very awkward to pick up. Once they're in your truck, you don't want to take them out. And I, I feel that the sizing is weird on them to where – the, the 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 medium is too small for a medium dog and then the big one is expensive as heck and then you got to be a freaking olympic power lifter to get it in and out of your truck or have a team of guys like you're moving a freaking piano and i know that i'm dramatizing it a little and exaggerating some but am i is do you feel the same i know the traditional kennels they seem like they had more room but of course they weren't as protective the security wasn't there of you know if a, the truck does roll over and that kennel goes flying or whatever the dog is more protected in a one-piece roto molded kennel uh you know and they're kind of the same along the lines as these big heavy coolers that you see as use the gators and such that they are heavier but they retain ice a lot better the insulation's a lot better the seals are a lot better these kennels, they have their purpose, but they just seem sized to me in a weird way to where there wasn't a whole lot of thought that went into the average size lab or retriever. And the ones that I want to use, I feel like I'm not doing my dog justice because he or she seems like they might be suffering in there a little bit with the amount of room or not being able to stretch out. Right. So, you know, just like you said, with the coolers compared to the dog crates. So if you take a Coleman cooler and you put it next to the Gator cooler you know you can see that big size difference that's because of the insulation inside correct so that's why you have that big massive cooler even though it holds the same amount as the, the coleman it's just going to hold your ice longer it's going to justify you longer period of time for for better same thing with those dog crates you know when you buy a cheap flimsy remington kennel um that you're it's going to be your nice normal size so you can get it in and out of your kennel but now you got that big beefy gunner kennel um, but that nice beefy gunner kennel isn't going to break. And what I mean by that is take away all the car crashes and everything. Um, when you have like a Remington kennel, like last year it was cold out, 
Um, we had one and it literally just, we were taking out of the back of the, you know, it gets negative 20 up here sometimes. We took it out of the back of the, the side by side and set it on the ground and we might have set it a little bit harder than we should have. Well, the whole bottom blew out. So now I just spent a hundred dollars on a crate, um, you know, and that, that crate's only going to last you maybe two years, maybe. Where if you buy a gunner or a lucky duck or a rough land, those kind of is going to last you a lifetime. So you got to look at it as, as an investment as well, too. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in those kennels. Yes, they kind of stink because they're hard to lift in and out or whatever. Um, but like, but have you have you seen anything with the sizing of them? Like being a little bit there's it just gets yes. a little awkward with a lot of different dogs. Like if like if your dog is a little tiny bit off of the medium scale of what they tell you medium is it's almost like you feel bad putting them in there but you don't want to go to the bigger one because there's not a whole bunch more room in them in my opinion but they're way heavier and and they they um take up way more room and they're way more expensive so there's a big price increase as you jump into the bigger models and it's just weird that you can have a 70 pound lab that wouldn't fit in a medium kennel it's not a big great dane it's not like something that's huge i just i've seen a lot of labs that i would consider medium size 65 to 80 pounds i know that's a heavier lab but they're not huge dogs they're not like they're not like big tall dogs with long legs and and real long dogs uh, you know what i'm saying does that make sense yes um so you know that's a great question so when you have that, I mean, 70, 70 pound and under, I would say a medium kennel. Now, if you're going to have an 80 pound lab or anything like that, it's just big macho guy, then you might have to look at getting the bigger kennel. Um, but like me, like Slash, Gage, Kai, and Josie, that's all. We have all medium kennels here um, for those guys. So, yeah, when I see you, I want to, I, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to have a, I might send a video of the amount of room a dog has in this can, these kennels we have. And just get some opinions. I'm going to ask you and Brad, what are your opinions of the way this dog is fitting into this kennel? And is that okay? Is that ethical? Is that safe? Is that healthy kind of mindset that I have is like, man, I just put Duff in the kennel and he's going to sleep there. And then I get in my bed and I'm like, look at me all stretched out in this California King bed, like freaking King Arthur, you know, and I get to feeling guilty. Like that's not enough room for him to lay down. But as a dog owner, and this is where we, in this discussion day about puppies is that they are not humans. We cannot humanize a dog and that a lot of the instincts of a dog are taken away by the humanization that we give them with table scraps or too much reward or, or, um, the ability to not have the mindset that this dog needs to be disciplined and disciplined consistently. And people look at it like, man, that you're kind of mean to that dog. I'm like, no, that dog loves me. That tail's wagging all the time, but I don't ever let that dog get the upper hand on me or think that he can go, you know, take an inch and get a mile out of it. So I don't know if that's the right mindset. I don't know if I'm too bullheaded or if I was around a real strict father when it might, the way my dad was with dogs, but most of the dog trainers I've been around are very strict and very disciplined and all of the dogs in the kennels tails are still wagging. Like your buddy, our buddy, Brad Arrington would say is like our dogs tails are still wagging, but they're not going to get away with murder. Is that an okay ideology to have? And do you think that dog owners get too soft and they're like, Oh, it's okay. And the next thing you know, you're in the duck blind, the thing's squealing like a freaking harmonica and he won't shut up. And then it ruins the hunt or he's breaking. And I think we owe it to that dog to stay on their ass and to make sure that we're getting the most out of them. They are not human beings. Correct. Oh, yep, I'm a firm believer. Um, sit means sit. Um, so, you know, when you're when you're going into your training, 
you know, where a lot of people fail is they're not consistent. When you ask the dog to sit, there just is no other option. Um, you're not being mean to that dog. You're not hitting the dog. You don't have a close fist. You're not doing any of that. You're just simply asking your dog to do its job. You know, same thing like your kid. Um, you have a kid at home, you're going to say, clean your room. And you're not going to give that dog any other option. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to allow that kid to go to its friend's house and only half-ass clean its room. You know, same thing with your dog. When you're asking it to do something, make sure it sits. Don't give any other option. Or when it goes to its place command, it cannot come off of that place command until you ask it otherwise. If you ask the dog to lie down, it lies down until you ask it otherwise. Um, that's not being mean. That's not being cruel. You're just expecting. That's exactly how I would raise my kid. If I ever have a kid and I tell him, go clean his room, he will not leave that room until it's clean. You know, and that's just good parenting. Same thing with that dog is you're teaching that dog that you're going to be consistent with it. So now when you go out into the hunting field, you can enjoy being out there with your dog, not screaming and hollering at it the whole time around your hunt. Your buddies are looking at you like, leave that, leave that dog home next time. Or they're going to want you to know, bring that dog next time. They're going to want you to bring that dog instead of having you leave that home. So be consistent, be strict with your dog. Your dog's still going to love you. You know what I mean? They're still going to be your best friend. They're still going to do everything because you're going to rub their belly on the couch when you're just hanging out. Um, but you know, when you ask them to do something, just make sure they do it and then they can get the reward or praise after doing it correctly. So the aesthetics of a dog and you have this puppy home and as he, that's male or female starts to mature a little bit, they get bigger, they take up more room. <clears throat> One of the things that really wears me out about a lab aesthetically is the coat shedding a bunch. And I mean, just like an absurd amount of hair coming off that coat. You brush it out, you get the finest scientifically researched brush on the market, you think you got the best, you brush it out, the next thing you know, he comes and, and rubs up on you and you're wearing a black hoodie like this black cloud one I am right now, and you got there's not a lint roller in the history of the world that can fix this problem, the sweatshirt's going in the garbage. Is there something that we can do? Is there better shampoos? I know that you don't use a human shampoo for a dog. What are some of the things that dog owners now with this puppy as he starts he or she starts to mature that we can do to make sure that coat's good. We know what Yukonuba does for the coat. We know what it does for the skin. We know what it does for the joints and, and all of the things that we've talked about, what the quality of the Yukonuba dog food and the research that goes into it. But besides that, would the food have something to do with that shedding and all of that hair constantly coming off? And is there anything that we can do to help, you know, minimize that or prevent it? Yeah. So I'm a, you know, I'm a firm believer. So every day we disinfect and uh, clean our kennel twice daily. And when we get a new group of dog in the ones that weren't getting fed Yukonuba or anything, and now we're switching them over to Yukonuba. Um, the first week or two of us switching them over when we're cleaning out that kennel, I mean, it is like wads of hair. And then now we're about week four, week five into our group that we got right now. And there is like, obviously there's hair that we're cleaning down, but not even nearly to an extent as much as we were three to three to weeks ago. Does that make sense? Um, so just by switching that food, you know, give that dog a good protein calorie food like Yukonuba. And that's huge, huge, huge. I'm a firm believer that that really eliminates a lot of the hair. Um, I can't stress enough. Like it's, it's, I should video it sometime of when we first get the dog in um, till two or three weeks after eating our food. And then the night and day difference of the shedding. Um, they also make, you know, for dog shampoo, it, it's the more you spend on the dog shampoo, I mean, there's stuff that are literally, um, helps with the shedding. And after you give them a bath, I mean, make sure, brush them really good because it is ungodly amount of hair coming out. Um, but that's just that shampoo cleaning out all that dead hair, um, brushing them, you know, they make those fur, furminators or something like that. 
Um, but just keeping your dog fed well and brushed well. And then, you know, swimming uh, uh, helps out a lot as well too, and knock out all that, that hair. Swimming does, huh? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So when you, when you talk about a kennel now, that's that, you know, they have a box kennel and then as they mature, they get into a bigger gated area with a dog box, a dog house insulation. Um, what, what are some of the best products to use to disinfect these areas where they're staying a lot of the time? Um, so like what we use is chlordoxerine or something. It's a really big word, um, chlordoxerine or something. Um, that and, sounds, um, is that your last name or is that the no, name? Of- <laughs> must be close though. <laughs> um, so chlordoxerine, we actually get it from the vet. Um, it's 120% um, pet safe. The dogs can drink it and they'll be fine. Um, but we just mix that. You, we have like this pump system. We put three pumps into one gallon, um, of the disinfectant and we dump that on the floor per, per, uh, six kennels. So we use probably three gallons a day cleaning out that kennel. Um, but they make, um, you just go to your local vet and they'll have three or four different disinfectants. We also have a, a different disinfectant. Um, I don't, it's a white, I don't even know the name of it. Um, but that one, the dogs can't be in the kennel till it, after 15 minutes of you using that disinfectant. So what we'll do is we'll take all the dogs, all load them up in the dog trailers and then we spray this disinfectant. That's a really good cleaning disinfectant. We let it sit for 15 minutes and we go through and we wash it all off again. And then we keep the dogs out for an hour and then they're safe to go back in. Um, we do that, that one once a month. So you're saying that this high power disinfectant that you guys mix for the six candle deal, you mix however much with, with a gallon of water or whatever, you're saying that you can get this at retail. You could, you don't have to be a dog kennel. You don't have to have no, a commercial no. account. You can just go to your vet and get a good one. Yep. Yeah. We buy it by the, what about, what about just regular pet store that might not have a vet readily available? Yep. They they would have it as well too. There's tons of different disinfects out there. And um, you can also use bleach. Bleach is a great one. Um, Just make sure your dog doesn't go in there for an hour. One hour, like just like a Clorox bleach. Yep. Yep. Just make sure your dog's nowhere around it. Um, Clean everything with bleach. um, And then um, wait at least an hour before that dog goes back into that space. Um. I'm writing a note on that. I'm going to take, I want to make sure that, okay, now with the the cleanliness part of this, how important is, they're the only dog that eats out of their bowl. Okay. Mm -hmm. That bowl is designated for that dog. Most pet owners aren't like you or a Brad Arrington where they're feeding a bunch of dogs at one time. Um, They have one dog bowl for that dog. Yep. How important is daily or how often do you clean or scour that bowl? And what happens if you don't, or what could happen if a dog's down there and his snouts in there and his tongue's going nuts and he's eating like crazy, then he's licking the sides of it. Then it, he goes away, he goes trains for a while. The sun hits that or whatever the air hits, it dries up some of that stuff. That's bacteria. Is that a bad deal? And should you be cleaning out their eating source and their bowl every day? Oh yeah, absolutely. So in our, in our kennel, they, the dog bowls get cleaned twice daily. Um, but the way we do our kennel is once your dog's like a sign here and your dog goes into its kennel, we don't switch the dogs around. Once your dog's in that kennel, that's where it stays until it goes home. Um, so that way you don't have to transfer those germs as where we try to con, um, contain it as best as we can. Um, but like now my four dollar slash and then my three other dogs that live in the house, um, they each have their own dog bowl and they're all different colors and they, that they just know whose dog bowl is whose. Um, and I make sure I at least wash those at least every other day, just cleaning them up and, um, wash with, them. I just take a sink and just use Dawn dish soap and clean them up. Dawn dish soap, hot dishy water every other yeah. day or every yeah. day. 
Yep, just got clean because you'll notice there'll be like a film kind of around it from their saliva and everything like that. So I just clean it up just because I like to have everything clean as possible. Just regular Dawn dish soap. Yeah, right. Yeah, I just clean the sink like I'm cleaning my dish that I eat off of. <laughs> well, I think we covered it all pretty good so far. We'll we'll have more of this. Um, you know, if you think of any more questions that that you that we need to get out to the people or answers or information, let's let's keep it coming. Um, last question: What's the number one dog name out there right now? What are most people going? I'm gonna name my dog this, like they're babies. You know, there's a the girls list. There's the guys list. Is there one that's really that really you know hits you to where a lot of people want to? Is it is it is it boo boo? No, <laughs> is it D? Is it, D, um, is it Diesel? I love Slash. I think that's a badass dog name. Yep. I'm so proud Slash of that name. Cool. Um, the one of the puppies we just sold. Um, they named it Walleye. And uh, oh, that, so these Minnesotans are so weird. They call it. They call him Wally. Um, but it is named after Walleye. I thought that was kind of neat. So now they're going to be out on the boat. Now they're going to be out on the boat. They're going to have this. Have this dog? No, they're going to be ice fish, and they're going to have this dog. The dad's going to go walleye on, and he's going to dive right into that ice hole and go under the water. Yeah, I mean that's just not cool. I'm just kidding. That's why you don't want to name your dog Goose. (laughs) (laughs) You've said it all, Andrew. Good job, buddy. Uh, This has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Check out Andrew on Instagram at Wildacre Kennels. You can check out his website WildacreKennels.com. Support him. Get some of his merch. Find a good trainer in your area. Talk to these trainers, ask them, bounce information back and forth off of them and and use their service. I'm telling you, a good dog is worth its weight in gold. And to have a good dog, it has to be trained right. So take it to a guy or a girl that specializes in producing awesome training regimens for duck dogs, high performance dogs. Andrew's one of those guys. We believe in Wild Acre and you know we believe in Mossy Pond. Those are the two kennels that we abide by. Those are our testimonials for both of them. You can find them both on Instagram, Facebook, their websites, and you can see them all on the Foul Life episodes airing right now exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. Check out thefowllife.com for more information on our TV show, our podcast, our merch line, our online store, blogging. We have a bunch of stuff coming up. Check out Jargon Game Calls for the new chit chat it's our new call to join the small talk the loud mouth and the icebreaker we got two new calls we're getting ready to launch next week so pay attention to that thank you again for supporting our podcast our sister podcast this life ain't for everybody we have great guests and topics and themes over there right now so subscribe to them leave us ratings and reviews tell your friends tell your family dm us if you want to Give us some ideas of what you want to hear on these podcasts. Today's episode, again, was brought to you by our friends at Yukonuba, high-performance dog food, sporting dog, you name it. They've done their research. They have the scientific, the, and the proof is in the pudding behind their research of why we're getting the results daily with all of our dogs, all species, all shapes, all sizes, all ages. Check out Yukonuba and please support them. They are a badass partner of ours here at the Foul Life of Wild Acre of Mossy Pond. We believe in Yukonuba performance dog food. You should too. Just take it for a test run and then you will know exactly what we're talking about. Appreciate y'all. This is Chad Belling for Andrew at Wild Acre. Tom, hit that button. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life written by yours truly. Y'all take care. Peace out. Peace out.